You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I am Erin McCart. And I am Erin McCart. I'm so glad you guys are here with us for the last two episodes of the year. Love it. Yeah. We took a week off by choice this time, not because I was sick, which apparently I am a lot. I don't know. Who knew? <laughs> but we took a week off because I was on vacation and Aaron McCart was on vacation. And so now we're back. Last two episodes. And for these two episodes, we're going to cover one documentary, How to Fix a Drug Scandal. This was on Netflix. It's four episodes, about an hour each. It was done in 2020 and directed by another Erin, Miss Erin Lee Carr. Love it. Also the director for Undercurrent and I Love You Now Die. Right. Amazing. Mm -hmm. This was one of the ones that we watched well before we decided to do a podcast, but we came to work and everyone at work was talking about it and we were talking about it and could not stop. So it's one of the reasons why we started a podcast and we wanted to make sure we did it do justice by giving it two episodes mm-hmm. instead of just one. Absolutely. This is a short watch, in my opinion, for the four or so hours that it really takes to watch it because the story is so engaging and frankly, just it was a wow, like such an eye opener to how the system works, some things we don't really give a lot of thought to. Right. And I just found that really fascinating in the worst possible way. It's terrifying and yeah. Yeah, it's and as scientists to watch this happen is appalling as well. Unlike police officers, we don't stick by our brethren when they fuck up. I'm like, no, that's not okay. It's it's horrible. Right. It's kind of twofold. Like the characters at the center of this, there were problems there, right? But then they mm-hmm. were also really incentivized by the system in general mm-hmm. to be this way in the first place. And so it's really a problem on a couple different scales because yes. As a scientist, you know that your integrity has a lot to do with your results and how they're perceived and those kinds of things, especially Mm -hmm. in a case where you are testing things that really influence somebody else's life in court. Directly, yes. Yeah. And those were horribly compromised. And yet, (laughs) a lot of that stuff, they really were unwilling to let some of those things go because it looked bad. Oh, yeah. And and they were rewarded for bad behavior at certain times. So, yes. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a systemic issue. And hopefully from this, they learned and they've grown. We'll see. Because I've heard of other cases around the country around the same time. I feel like several cases came out around the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So this is actually talking about two cases. You have mm-hmm. Andy Dukin and you have Sonia Farrick. Mm-hmm. We will split this up into two episodes for each separate case. Now, the documentary kind of intertwines them, mm-hmm. but we're going to kind of pull them apart a little bit. Andy Dukin was one that happened first. So we're going to cover that first, although it's a bit of a shorter story that Sonia Farrick one was covered more extensively in the documentary. Mm-hmm. So the second episode of the podcast will be a bit longer. Right. And these cases both took place in Massachusetts, two separate drug labs in Massachusetts. What are the fucking odds? Right. So let's get into it. Let's get into it, Aaron. I love it. I love it. So let's say first that the the scene opens in 2013 when the shit kind of hits the fan for the Sonia Farrick case. Mm-hmm. Again, we're not necessarily going to cover this, but because they're intertwined, I think it's wise to like be like, this is where we start. Right. But there's a woman named Heather Harris, and she's what they call a forensic chemist. And she talks to us a little bit about the unsexy life of a drug analyst. <laughs> That's the best way I can say it. Right. Because people don't know how this process works. It's not the kind of thing that you see on CSI because it is not sellable. Right. It's not glamorous. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, they do sell some of that on CSI, but all you get is dramatic music for pipetting and a nice GC injection, which looks dramatic. And none of those things are true. And I don't get any music while I pipette unless I supply it myself. So, right. Right. Yeah. You get two seconds of it and then. 
you have the output of, oh, it's lipstick number 57 from L'Oreal. And I'm like, shut up. That took 10 hours to get to that. <laughs> right. And it's instant and um, mm-hmm. nobody wears any PPE. So no, that's not sexy. Again, please consult any person that's ever worked at a lab ever when you're yeah. doing any of these. Yes. <laughs> Just please do that for me. So we're going to talk a little bit too. Like I said, there's Heather Harris and there's also Sean Musgraves, who's a reporter. And Sean talks specifically about a lab analyst in labs that do drug analysis. That's a person that's going to do a dozen cases a day, depending on what the requests are. So while they did have two of the labs handling most of these cases until they don't, it is kind of interesting to understand what the day-to-day looks like for this. So the way I understand it is you're picked up, you're arrested, you have a substance on you. Part of the deal is they have to prove what it is so they can charge you and keep you and try you and all this kind of stuff. So they would send those requests to the lab with the whole sample, like everything they got in the, mm-hmm. you know, bust or whatnot. All of this was cataloged. Um, there's a chain of custody that's supposed to be kept in order. So like who collected it and who transported it and who received it once they got to the lab and all of this stuff is signed you know, for legal purposes, because they don't want a defense attorney to come in and be like, well, where was the sample between the hours of noon and 5 p.m. on the 7th <laughs> or whatever? So, I mean, when you think of it, they want to have a defendable stance on the integrity of the sample from arrest to sampling and then hopefully beyond. But we don't really talk about that as much. Right. So let's say there's a docket or an, uh, some kind of big list of all the stuff that needs to be done and the analysts come in and they're supposed to be assigned by someone else. There's a a coordinator of some kind that's like receiving and keeping and assigning and blah, blah, blah. But some of those processes break down. But the analyst gets the sample. They know what they're like doing some identification. Like it's a white powder. It weighs this many grams, blah, blah, blah. So they're weighing, mm-hmm. they're doing like a visual identification. And then they have what looks to me, they said it's a ceramic plate and it's got some Um, shallow wells in it. And so they put a little sprinkling of whatever this is. And then they are putting drops of chemicals to look for color changes Mm -hmm. is the way it looks from the reenactments. Again, I don't necessarily trust that because I saw some fucking problems with it. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, those, Uh, those different reagents should be a a quick, dirty go, no go. This is the substance. This is not the substance, right? Right. So they make it look like you can attain the results that you are looking for pretty short amounts of time. Some of the analysis that I've been part of are days long, and that is not what we're dealing with here. Mm -hmm. This is pretty quick and not a lot of interpretation. So once they get the results from the little color change, they write it down uh, because in 2013 or before uh, there's no (laughs) electronic documentation, like everybody Mm -hmm. is like initialing and I sign here and blah, blah, blah. And then everything gets packed up once the testing is done and they feel like they've done the analysis of whatever. I suppose there's probably a checklist, right? That's like, first we test for this and then we test for this and then we test for this. Right. And let's also put in there, after they do the spot check to determine a kind of positive or not positive, Mm -hmm. that's just a go, no go. You're not getting purity. You're not getting a a confirmation fingerprint. They do run it on a mass spectrometer. Right. That gives you a direct confirmation. That's instrumentation. It gives you a chemical fingerprint to match for identity, but it can also give you a quantitative. It is this pure, this amount, this is what Mm -hmm. you have, right? That is really what they're using. I think the go, no go is kind of an initial check and then they move on to, Mm -hmm. because they showed, they showed all sorts of scans and stuff like that. The only reason I say that is because that is a limiting factor. Those tests take a specific amount of time, regardless of how super awesome you are. You can only run so many tests at a time because the instrument takes X amount of time to run it. So keep Mm -hmm. that in mind when we move forward with this. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Sorry. One of the other things I was going to comment is you made the comment that they are assigned the cases. They're supposed to be assigned cases. So this is all supposed to be anonymous. They don't have the actual police identification case IDs. They have lab IDs. They are not supposed to know anything about it other than this drug from maybe this town or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be relatively anonymous. You're supposed to remain neutral in this process and test the drug and give it the information. Then you pass it on. That's it. Right. Right. You're not supposed to get involved in the cases. 
Right. Because in science, we talk about the results are the results. Yep. Unfortunately, a lot of times the, it's inconvenient when things don't turn out the way you want them to. Mm-hmm. And then that is the kind of thing that spurs you on to change your hypothesis, change your approach. There's all kinds of things, but the point is not to make the result fit the case, whatever the case is. Right. It is the result directs you to your next action. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, once the analysis is done, these cases are resealed. They have a, like a food sealer. I mean, that's what it looks like, right? They have a plastic a heat bag. sealer, yep. You know, the identification has stayed constant throughout. Like the case number for the lab is written on the documentation and somewhere somebody has the police number is equivalent mm-hmm. to what's written on the bag. And then they seal it and then it goes away. And so again, this is a step of the confirmation that it was sealed and then it's, you know, put back on the shelf for whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the end of the process. Now, it is also the case that an analyst might have to go testify in court to talk about the results that they got. So the defense attorney mm-hmm. has the chance to be like, wasn't it true that you, you know, like Perry Mason style, which is how all lawyers are in my head. I've actually been in court and served in jury and that didn't happen. And I was like, this is stupid. This isn't real at all. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's kind of the whole process from my understanding. Right. That's how they laid it out. And I like how they say the analyst has to go to court because as a defendant, you have the right to confront your accuser. And in this case, the lab analyst is the one who has said that this result is positive for X substance. They're technically your accuser. So you have the right as Mm -hmm. a defendant to address Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. and all that. So that, that was interesting. I never thought of it that way. Sure. But I think everyone assumes that everything gets picked up is positive, which, I mean, come on, we all had that kid in high school that was selling oregano joints, right? Or basil <laughs> or whatever, right? Just right, twigs right, right. out of their backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So they're not all real and they have to prove it. They have to prove that what they're charging you with is a real crime and not something else. So that's a very important part of the legal system in theory. Right. Okay. So let's go to Andy Dukin. Annie Dukin. Thank you. God damn it. Why do I keep calling her Andy? <laughs> right. <laughs> we do have a girl that works in our lab named Andy, and that's why I think that comes up. Anyway. Okay. Right, right. Okay. Let's talk about Annie Dukin. Right. She was caught September 28th in 2012 doing what they call dry labbing. So she was just making up results. She wasn't running the test. She was just writing in the results. That people wanted, essentially. Right. And I can attest that this is, in my opinion, like one of those lab boogeymen that we are, I mean, like the emphasis to not do this could not be more in any lab that I've ever been in. Like this is an immediate fireable offense, right? So you've got faking results, like as in you're writing down the wrong numbers and doing the testing, that's something different. This is just not fucking doing it at all, which is terrifying. I mean, it's just, it's just so, I don't know. It almost makes you sick to think about this. Right. Because the audacity of you to say, I know what's best. This person belongs in prison. I'm just going to write this down. You know what I mean? You're not God. You are not that special. Stop. But the fact that in every lab that I've worked in, they're like, you can't do this. That's a don't know. That's not to say I haven't seen it in a lot of labs. I have absolutely seen this happen in different labs. And Mm -hmm. of course, people get walked out immediately, but that is months of work trying to go back and find out when it started. How do they do it? How do you prevent it from happening again? And the biggest thing I can say to prevent it from happening in the first place is stop pushing quantity over quality. You can use the word quality, but the minute you're like, we need more, 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 more. And that's really what you're pushing. It pushes people to do these things. Even though it's not right, they eventually cross that line. I think it's really interesting because a couple times in this documentary, there's a guy a um, I have that he's a reporter for uh, the Rolling Stone. His name is Paul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He talks about how these drug labs are operated on the most skeleton of budgets, right? Mm-hmm. So this is how fast and how cheap can we get this stuff tested, which I'm like, God damn, that really does sound like a government program if I ever heard one. Mm-hmm. It is Amazing because in the Annie Dukin case, she was the first person in the lab in the morning, the last person to leave the lab. So it gives the appearance that she's extremely dedicated, 
Right. I guess there weren't any other people around in anything that she ever did because I'm like, how was she pulling all this off? Like, I can understand there's a window of time in the morning and there's a window of time in the afternoon where nobody else is there, which seems to be the sequence of events that has to happen for people to pull off some of this shit. Because when I'm in the lab, I am aware that there are people that are doing stuff. Now, very small things I might not catch, like if somebody's pipetting technique is shitty. I might not notice that. But I'm going to notice if they didn't pick up a pipette at all. all day, you know, and <laughs> right. I'm like, how is she doing this? Well, and that's part of the problem, right? We'll get to that. If you're doing a little bit more work than everyone else, mm-hmm. that's one thing, maybe more mm-hmm. efficient, maybe you manage sure. your time better. But when you're doing four times the amount of work, then it should be questioned. Or I want to know what you're doing so other people can do this much work as well, if nothing else, right? Yeah, I would think as a supervisor, a lot of times those kind of metrics are kept in a lab because that's how we determine you know, how, what kind of year Your people worth. had or what, yeah. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, or whatever, yeah. there's a lot of things that, but I mean, understanding metrics on productivity is, is part of it. And I think any supervisor that's worth their salt would be, you know, kind of asking these questions, like, how are you able to do this? And, you know, is this something that I can help other people gain efficiency? Mm-hmm. Or is it something where I'm like, that's really weird. I'm going to have to see a little, dig a little deeper that's not really what happened in this case, though. She was celebrated and they were like, she's the greatest. And then nobody asked any questions. No, they didn't want to ask questions. They just wanted yes. the data. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Annie. Annie is a first generation American. Mm-hmm. And so with that, she probably had a lot of pressure from her family to do well, mm-hmm. to succeed. Mm-hmm. She was a good student by all accounts, a model employee in theory. Right. She, what did they say? Oh, she was the manager's favorite because she was so productive. I bet that changed. But in 2012, an evidence tech discovered a discrepancy. Mm-hmm. They're concerned about the volume of cases she was completing. And they said it was probably four times the average chemist. Now, dear listener, go back 15 minutes or whatever. When I said these samples have to be run on a mass spec and those methods, let's say it's just 10 minutes a piece. Well, 10 minutes a piece, you can only do six an hour. That's assuming, I mean, you have to have standards in there. You have to have, you know, quality checks and uh, calibration standards to make sure you know what range you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So you're not even doing six samples an hour. You're down to maybe three samples an hour at that, probably less. Anyway, you can only do so many. That instrument is your limiting factor. You can only get so many tests done an hour, even if you set it up overnight and let it just run all night. You are still Mm -hmm. limited by that. And so the fact that she's doing four times the amount of work as every other chemist, not a little bit more, four times the amount, and no one questioned it, they just rewarded her for that behavior, is a huge red flag of the whole fucking lab, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah, there's really no excuse for this, because unless she's inventing time travel as well, Mm -hmm. this is just not humanly possible. And I think if they had been paying attention or had been interested in paying attention this would have been brought up. Right. Once it was brought up and someone questioned it, the supervisor was like, don't you even worry about it. Just don't you mind. We took care of it. It's all taken care of. They did not take care of it. Yeah. They brought up that kind of once this was all drug out into the light, that there had been years of complaints from other chemists who were like, there is something going on here. And it was swept right. under the rug. Mm-hmm. Which is really problematic because, again, if you work in a lab, there is some holding people to other, like, to standards, right? We have high standards and everybody has to make mm-hmm. them. And so while I'm not a fan of being like, oh, somebody come in 10 minutes late, I mean, that's a different complaint than I have some real concerns about how she's getting all this work done. <laughs> like, well, they their complaints were she wasn't doing her quality control checks. Yes. Without quality control checks, you cannot say that this sample is what it is. You have to have something... You know, this is a definitive sample that you purchased from somewhere that says this is cocaine at this purity concentration. And you measure everything against that to say, yes, this is also cocaine at this, you know, this particular concentration, Mm -hmm. because we know that this, what this looks like, therefore this looks the same, but she wasn't doing that. She wasn't running those checks. And again, from the outlook of like, you have to be able to defend your work to a savvy defense lawyer who understands, you know, this kind of stuff. It's shot out the window, like QC checks aren't done. Um, The proper, you know, techniques and 
processes aren't followed, then the results are also not inadmissible, I don't know, but they could certainly come under question. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not worth your time. And it's like, you're saving at the beginning, but it's so much more work at the back end to have to like rectify these things. But maybe that's a more mature view. Well, but you're not the one who has to rectify it, right? It's someone else who has to clean that mess up. Right. And years of work. If you've been in lab work, you understand that cutting corners doesn't pay. It just doesn't. You have to repeat that work and it's a pain in the ass. So. Absolutely. And I, when I have seen people dry lab, it almost felt like it took more work for them to fake the data than it did for them just to run the fucking samples. I don't understand that mentality. Did you get more done? Maybe they turned in more data, fake data, but you know what I mean? I don't understand why you would take more time to do it incorrectly. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, they did finally request a formal investigation. Mm -hmm. They spoke to the other chemists who were like, dude, she's the fucking worst. She does everything wrong. Right. Right. (laughs) And probably part of it is as you as an, an employee, it doesn't matter what area that you work in. If you're an employee and you're busting your ass and you see someone else who is getting like rewarded and accolades and everyone loves them, but you can see they're not doing their work well. How fucking annoying is that? Ugh. Well, I mean, you know, you understand that management isn't really paying attention to the things that matter and a good employee would leave. So. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm sure they're getting paid a pittance anyway, so I hope most of them did leave. I mean, that's the other thing of this whole thing was just like, Jesus H, like, please pay your people appropriately. You're in a government lab. You're making shit. I know it. Unbelievable. So she agreed to speak to the police. See, she being Annie. Mm -hmm. And they determined that she really, she being Annie, really liked being important. She liked Mm -hmm. being the point person, the person people go to and thought highly of. And it was almost like an addiction for her is what it seemed. So she continued to do more and more things that would Mm -hmm. get her more and more accolades. To the point, you know, we find out as things go here that people were requesting her, requesting her to do their work. Directly, like not going through the proper channels. They would just email her directly and be like, hey, we have another case. It'd be great if you could Mm -hmm. be on our team. You know what I mean? Right, right. We know you can Mm -hmm. get it done quickly. And so, yeah, I think she fed on that. I think that that was a, a definite motivator for her. Right. But I do think it's funny that when they the police talk to her, she just folds like a house of cards, right? Like she just comes right out with it, which I'm like, okay, you know, give it up when you're caught. I, there's nothing wrong with that. But just to, it's like, oh, damn, three times. Now I have to confess. I mean, it's just <laughs> really funny to think about that. I mean, I'm telling you, if I ever get pulled in, it's, I'll just tell you everything. I don't care. <laughs> I, don't pull my fingernails. Don't try to play games. Right. <laughs> I'd be the worst spy ever. Oh, absolutely. Me too. Our friend Heather Harris, the forensic chemist, she discusses kind of how it was being done. She said what Mm -hmm. Annie would do is she would grab about 10 to 15 cases at a time that looked to have the same kind of evidence. So it would Mm -hmm. be assumed that these were all cocaine. And then she would only run one or two and then Mm -hmm. apply those results across the board. Mm -hmm. What's amazing is they showed in these reports some of the, like, scans from the spectrometer Mm -hmm. that were legitimately blanks they're blanks and she ran as yep it's positive i'm like but that that's blank it's like water (laughs) what the fuck which tells me that there's not really any quality control checks right there's nobody reviewing her work no yeah and i'm just like that's (laughs) you would think the prosecutor would have to review the work right there would have to be you don't have to be a genius to say this picture looks like this picture or this picture looks completely Mm -hmm. different from this picture. You can make it very simple and easy for people. And you Mm -hmm. would think the prosecutor would want that direct evidence, but all they cared about was that signed certificate Mm -hmm. that said it was positive. Mm -hmm. Right. It is problematic. So they do arrest her on the 12th or sorry, on September 28th of 2012. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of fallout. There's a reporter. Her name is Andrea. She's talking about, there's a real piecemeal approach to the reports about this because nobody really knows what the fuck is at the heart of this they're just sort of like today Mm -hmm. we know this and tomorrow we know like four more details and so it's like this big cascade of half details so they're finding out as they go but 
the more you look at it, the more you get the sense of, oh, shit, this is really, really going to hit the fan. Right. And I love that they framed the entire thing as a an Annie Dugan problem. This is a one, this is just a person problem. One bad egg. This is not a systemic issue at all. Wink, wink. Don't look behind the curtain. Look, we all live in fear of the rogue chemist. (laughs) The (laughs) one person in this giant, giant system that could fuck us all. Right. That rogue chemist. God damn it. Yeah. She had been there for nine years. Mm -hmm. That's thousands and thousands of cases. Right. If you consider that they said it's likely that someone would handle dozens of cases a day. I mean, I know we're not too good on the maths, but uh, that's a lot of samples, a lot of cases, a lot of people affected. Mm -hmm. After this comes out, the head of the Department of Health resigned. Yeah, bitch, you were probably rewarding her for this behavior. You should resign. And you probably got another government job. A (sighs) hundred percent. The attorney general at the time is Martha Coakley. Yep. She says how any compromise the integrity of the criminal justice system really was there. It wasn't that great to begin with, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she she starts that rogue chemist bit in the it's a her problem. She really pushes that narrative. Well, yeah, I mean, think about I mean, growing up, I don't know if this is still the case after I've watched four documentaries, but white people believe in the system. Right. Absolutely. White people yeah. believe that if you are accused of a crime, you might as well have, you know, it's it's very likely that you committed it and nobody gets convicted wrongfully. There's a lot of I mean, we've all watched a lot of law and order and cops don't make mistakes and prosecutors don't make mistakes and nobody makes mistakes except the criminals. <laughs> so to me, this is like yeah. face save city. Right. Because this is happening in like Massachusetts. And I think it's pretty white there. So, yeah. You know, their their foundation could be rocked because they might have to answer for some shit that I think, you know, black and brown people have known for a while that it's not all it's cracked up to be. And you shit, you are so much better off if they never even look over your way. Right. Yeah. So that's why how this read to me was like, oh, we couldn't possibly have a real problem here. It's just one bad apple. <laughs> Fuckers. Well, that's kind of what George Papacristo says. He's a former assistant DA. And, you know, he talks about how he believed in the system, right? Right. He believed the system mm-hmm. worked and, and it did for him. Right. Right. But he says it's a lot of work when he got into the drug unit, he handled 40 to 50 cases a day. Jesus, that's a lot of fucking cases. Can you imagine? Yeah. And all of his cases went through one lab, the Hinton lab, which was yep. the one that Andy Dukin worked in. And once he hears about this coming out, I do appreciate that his first thought was anything she touched should be tossed out, whether that's his first thought or not. That's the first thing that came out of his mouth here. Right. He did immediately call defense attorneys for some of his clients and tr- and get them released. Like this, clearly this is an issue. Let's get them out pending more investigation. Right. Which is right. a pretty cool thing to do. All things considered. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> right. Which is rare in the justice you system. Know? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, this really shook his beliefs in the in the justice system. I'm like, well, welcome to our world. None of us believe in it now. I mean, come on now. Yeah. So there's a guy named David Conley. He's got the greatest Boston accent of his whole to-do. I really enjoyed it. What's his name? I had Daniel written down. Okay. Well, D. Connolly. Mr. Connolly. Right. <laughs> so, you know, he's kind of on the scene early with the whole like well the investigation into the affected cases but hey look most of those people had priors so yeah he was kind of not good about that yeah and I'm like oh that's not how things should work but okay thanks for playing I mean like mm-hmm. you know kind of getting out there early with this rationale good stuff and then you see the news stuff all the news is like oh my god they're gonna put all these horrible criminals right back on the street and it's like most of these mm-hmm. cats were in there for very minor drug charges nonviolent offenders stupid shit calm down yeah so you know you kind of see that they're setting up early like this real dichotomy between how we should handle the fallout of what she did so mm-hmm. to keep that going let's talk a little bit more There's a cat named Scott Allen. He is a different reporter. A lot of reporters we talk to in this. He specifically says our friend Andrea, the other reporter, 
or another reporter, was able to get a hold of Annie Dukin's incriminating emails. And boy, howdy, was this part fun, where you're like, oh, shit. Oh, my she God. She has lost her mind. Yeah. So then Heather comes back, and she's hitting a little bit again on, like, if you're a prosecutor, you should not have a direct line to an, a lab analyst. Like, it's really important to have some neutrality there, again, because the science is the science and the results are the results. And you can't come in and be like, these guys are really bad guys and we need to put them away and blah, blah, blah. Because then that puts pressure, whether welcome pressure or not welcome pressure, on an analyst to produce results that agree with what you're hoping that they will. And mm-hmm. that is a really bad place to be for the person that's been called into question like we don't want that that's not good right and also she makes a good point we know that you want all of these to be positive you don't have to tell me that you want this particular case to turn out positive sure i realize that everything you submit to me you want to be positive that's the whole point of this but that doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean that's what the data will show so that's you know, annoying, but she's like, she right. had said, if she doesn't deliver a controlled substance, a positive result, she's not useful to them anymore. What good are you? Right. And there's a lot of talk about like, we're a team and this is great. And we're going to keep these bad guys off the street and away from your grandma and whatever. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's just a real um, old boy, you know, vibe oh boy, coming yep. through here. And again, as a, a person who produces results, it's horrifying. Terrifying. Not these kind of results, but still the mm-hmm. kind that affect people years down the line. Well, some other things that were in the emails. One, I mean, that you could see that she clearly considered herself part of the team, if you will, part of the prosecutorial right. police team. She was working right. for them. She wasn't working mm-hmm. for science. She was working specifically for them. Mm-hmm. And she also told her coworker she was going to Harvard at night to get an advanced degree. Mm-hmm. Do you know how the director, Aaron, I love you, but do you know how the director showed? a representation of her going to Harvard at night? Uh, No, I don't. I don't remember what they said. With a Harvard coffee mug on the lab bench next to samples. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Stop it. That's not the one that I, like, I must have blanked that out out of just, like, red hot rage because there was one in the other story (laughs) that I was like, absolutely not. And I was all salty about it. Yes. We'll see if this is the same one you saw. It'll be interesting. Probably. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she even had her coworkers like congratulating her. I cannot speak today. Congratulating her and throwing her like a little party for graduating from Harvard, which she never, ever went to. She never was part of a program at Harvard. She was just making that up. Um, let's have a little PSA, shall we? The Internet is forever and <laughs> emails are forever. Take a lesson from a Gen Xer. You don't write it down. Nope. You don't take any pictures. Because then you have plausible deniability, which she does no, she no longer has. You just look like an asshole if you're just like, oh, my advanced degree. And absolutely none of that has happened. Like, that's now around forever. Right. And if you're getting an advanced degree, I would assume that you're going to want a promotion afterward or something. <laughs> but you would have to actually produce that degree to prove that you got it. I don't know. It's just me. I mean, I've seen catch me if you can. And he came up with some pretty good fake documentation. So again, it probably would have been easier to actually go and get the degree at night than have to come up with figuring out how to word (laughs) process that shit out. Because if there's not a page Mm -hmm. break listed in there, you can't find it. Just saying. Absolutely. Hate formatting being in Word. (laughs) It's the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about her emails with George Papa Christos? Okay. One George Papa Christos is the best name ever. I just it's the most good name so you're ever cute. Hear ever. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's adorable. As a prosecutor, he seemed to have a lot of communication with our friend Annie Dugan. Yes, and they didn't show anything that was especially spicy, but like I might occasionally sign an email to a friend at work, hugs Aaron, you know, but it's not like you're the best and hugs and kisses. It was just, it was super, um, it was really cringy Cringy. to watch because you knew she had the Mm -hmm. hots for him and he was like, Hey buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Like an email that said to me, I'm aware that you, this is very more friendly than I'm willing to be, but I don't want to piss you off. So you don't test my stuff. Like that's what that whole vibe suggested in my opinion. Yes. 
So the cringiest part, well, one of the reporters took these emails and tried to make it out like they were having an affair, which is unfortunate. Leave his poor family out of it, right? Yeah. Or I don't know, maybe he's not married. Maybe it was her affair because she was married. I don't, either way, it wasn't okay. But then there's the fake email. Love it. I don't understand this one at all, but she, Annie, gets an email from someone named Suzanne Sullivan, who is an attorney, Mm -hmm. but the name is misspelled. That's beside the point. But it essentially was like, hey, uh, congratulations on the divorce. You work too hard. We all think you need a boyfriend, whatever. It was nothing that you would ever get from a work, like a coworker at work. Or should. No, that's why we have text messages and like personal emails. Like nobody's emailing this to a friend. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, Mm-mm. no, I just don't believe that. Even 10 years ago, I still don't believe it. So, and this woman, this attorney, was she a prosecutor? Mm-hmm. She was just an attorney. It just said, you know, Suzanne Sullivan attorney, like from where? I don't know. But it was very much, it was such a weird fishing expedition to be like, you're such a great catch, and I don't understand why you don't have a boyfriend three months after your divorce. I'm like, no, no one should have a boyfriend three months after that divorce. Not a steady one. You have to go through a slut phase like everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Damn it. <laughs> so this ends up in Mr. Papa Christos's inbox, and he's like, uh, okay, like, cool, cool. Was it that one or was it her response? So her response. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Was like, boyfriend, huh, I just want someone to love me and make me laugh. Hmm. I've attached some pictures. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> the pictures of me for the the work email that my friend is going to write a profile for me somewhere. Oh, and God. And you know, you know what I look like. So why would I send you pictures? And then somehow this gets to George. I don't understand the logic or how she finagled it to make it look like what she accidentally forwarded it to George or. Oh, it's the accidental on purpose text. It must be. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It turns out the email was fake to begin with. She had created this person. There is a real person named Suzanne Sullivan who is an attorney of some sort, but she spelled the name wrong. Right. Mm hmm. But it showed a couple of things. It showed that she was divorced. She mm-hmm. wanted him to know. It showed that she was highly desirable to her coworkers and that she they think she needs a boyfriend. Um, okay. <laughs> Again, how did the accidental forward work? How do you slyly be like, oh, my bad. I'm going to recall that. You know, I don't. I don't get it. Well, evidently you don't. It just waits in your email until you fuck something up and then it just comes out and ruins everyone's lives. I don't know. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. I'm just too lazy to be that manipulative, I guess. That's what it comes down to. I'm too lazy for all that shit. Um, I don't know that I've really admired someone like this from afar, right? Like, I'm like, you need to be in the Aaron McCart business. You know, like, <laughs> absolutely Doesn't not. everyone know? <laughs> I mean, so says me, I don't know. But it's just like, <laughs> I agree with you. Like, no, Mm-mm. no, mm. So I think she needs a hug and a therapy session or four. Uh, mm. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, so, you know, she was writing fairly personal emails to George anyway about her personal stuff, trying to get him to talk about his personal stuff. And Mm -hmm. again, this is work and you and I are good friends, but I'm not writing anything personal on the email. (laughs) We got fucking texts, right? And in 2012, they did too. Yes. It took longer. I'll give you that. But still. (laughs) When they asked George, what role does a chemist play in the prosecutor's day-to-day work? And he's like, normally very minimally. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like none. It should be none until you get the certificate. Well, again, I think it'd be interesting to understand what the dynamic was before all of this was kind of influencing it. Because from my take on this, the only thing that makes sense to me is he knew who she was. He knew she was well thought of. And he's like, she emails me and I'm going to try to like maintain some space like I'm not interested in her but I don't want to piss her off because I don't want to lose a resource to get my shit done that's how this whole thing reads to me so from what they showed in this documentary there could have been some very other things that they didn't show right I don't think he had any intentions of dating her what I think is he had intentions of using that to his advantage to get his work done. sure 
Yeah. Which is also kind of sketchy, let's be honest. It's not the best, no. Mm-hmm. And he, his comment was they were friendly through email, but he only met the woman once through circumstances that were monitored. Is this like a court-appointed visitation that you have yeah. to have someone monitoring that? Right. And But the emails were only published after they discovered that she had been falsifying data. And so it looks mm-hmm. like he knew what she was doing, which is unfortunate. Okay. I don't get that. I don't get that impression, but mm-hmm. he felt like that's what people were reading into it because they were friendly over email, that he knew that she was doing that. Well, he ends up, in my opinion, he does the right thing. Like he's in the hot seat. He's being drug in the muck. He resigns. Mm-hmm. He's going to try something else. And he finds himself in defense law, which is great. <laughs> right. I mean, well, I think whatever. he, he would probably be great at it, right? You know how it works on this side yeah. and you can use that to your advantage over here, which I think would be very beneficial to his clients. Yeah. Right. So, and just saying his name would make me full of confidence because that is a fun ass name. <laughs> yeah. So Annie Dugan is taken to court. She pleads guilty. Mm-hmm. She is sentenced. And even at the sentencing, they really frame it as a her problem. It's really impressive how there's no further investigation as to how this problem was perpetuated. Sure. sure. And her lawyer tried to argue for less time. She didn't mean to hurt anyone. She was just being rewarded for being so productive. She didn't know what she was doing. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So she was convicted and sentenced to a three to five year sentence. Mm -hmm. Which I'm not sure. I, I guess... It's a good sentence to the extent that it is longer than some others. But I would like to have seen her get a similar sentence to the average sentencing of the drug convictions that she pushed through. Right. And they didn't really discuss the kind of the comparison between like, look, she affected some other people's lives. Maybe that should be taken into consideration. I kind of got the read on it. Like she'd never been in trouble. She was a high achiever, blah, blah, blah. We're going to, you know take mercy on her or whatever but that occurred to me as well like she certainly seemed to be unconcerned about selling other people she ruined she possibly ruined people's lives their families their future prospects for employment even if they're already out of prison it's it's a lot and they don't take any of that into account i do like the fact that they covered that i mean they hit on that a few times in this documentary is like even for the people, like if you have a drug conviction, where you live is affected. How you can work is affected because maybe you can't mm-hmm. even get a fucking job at all. And you're also not available. You can't do welfare. You mm-hmm. can't get food stamps. I mean, there's all kinds of things. So like the suffering that was caused by people who are being very cavalier with the lives of other people is crazy in this documentary. And I love the mm-hmm. fact that they were like, look, we don't like to talk about this. It's uncomfortable because we all want to think that people who have drug convictions are all a bunch of scumbags and they deserve everything that they get. And the truth mm-hmm. is these are people dealing with horrible addictions. These are people with families and obligations mm-hmm. and they are just trying to do the right thing. And it is just a fucking uphill battle for the rest of their lives. And that is just right. so sad to think about it. In I mean, we have to look at a more realistic stance. Right. And something that people don't think about, unless you've had people that you know that Mm -hmm. were in the system, once they get out, odds are they're going to be on some kind of probation, right? Right. So they have to go to a parole officer that takes, they have to be able to drive. Sometimes they can't get a license (laughs) or they can't get a job at a car. So this is put on someone else to get them to and from their probation. Mm -hmm. It also punishes the family because they have to live in one place that has a phone that's connected to a monitor that you have to pay for. And you have to pay for the monitor and you have to pay for the probation. So someone has to, there's a lot of money being put out towards the system to keep mm-hmm. them quotey fingered monitored. Now this is not punishing necessarily the offender as much as it is the family who's trying to help them rehabilitate. Mm-hmm. It's a fucked system. It is so yes. broken. Yes. If prison actually deterred crime, we would have the safest country in the world because we have more people incarcerated than anywhere else in the world, mm-hmm. but it clearly doesn't. Therefore the system should change. Can we just put a, a big shout out now that this is Ronald Reagan's fault and he's the worst. Yes. The war on drugs. Well, (laughs) I guess it kind of started a little bit before that, right? It started in the seventies and then progressed into the eighties and then we're the kind of worst. Yes. Okay. So now we meet Matt Siegel. He's a legal director with the ACLU of Massachusetts. Right. And so his thought when he hears about 
these crimes, the Annie Dugan and Sonia Farrick, is that it needs to be almost treated like a class action lawsuit. There needs to be a way to release all of the people en masse that have been wrongly convicted. Because mm-hmm. if you can no longer prove that these people had these drugs or whatever, mm-hmm. therefore they should be released. Right. Because it's the burden of the state, right? Yes. To say the stuff mm-hmm. that you had on you when we arrested you was drugs. And mm-hmm. we know now that a bunch of shit was tested. We don't know what the fuck it was. And so the state has got this lovely stance of like, yeah, 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 we're going to look at it at a case-by-case basis, and it's going to be fine, and don't you worry your pretty little head over it, and everybody's mm-hmm. the worst. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're like, no. Think how much it would cost to do this case-by-case. It, it benefits not only the people who are in prison or out. They did say that most of these people had already served their sentences by the time they were doing yes. this. They are just trying to get their records clean so they can move forward with their yes. lives. Yes. And that's a, an admirable thing to do. But if you do it case by case, think of the time invested with the lawyers and the courts and everything, the money, even more money than's already been spent on this bullshit. It's obscene. And let's also talk about the fact that a lot of pro- prosecutors, I mean, they want to have a stance that they're tough on crime and they have statistics and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And they don't want those things blown out of the water. Now, is it necessarily because of their actions? It is not. It is a broken system, and they need to take a look at that goddamn system without being mm-hmm. like, but it sure looked like drugs, which is basically what they said. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there was one time I, I, he made a comment, and he was like, can you still convict this person without this drug certificate from, from the lab? Can you mm-hmm. still convict this person without that? And they mm-hmm. actually said, well, we're going to bring in an expert police officer that will tell us this is what it looks like. Bitch, salt looks like that. Sure, it looks like that. Baking soda looks like that. I, I, come on now. Come on now. Well, no. like I said, I think that they were hoping that this would be swept under the rug. It's so big that nobody mm-hmm. would be willing to deal with it. And they have run into the most caring public defenders that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like they get a bad rap, which is also another part of this whole documentary is like defense attorneys are not greedy scumbags. They are people that are working against a stacked system to try to help Mm -hmm. people who don't have a lot of resources, which I loved. Are there probably shady defense attorneys? Probably, but they really came off well in this. So absolutely. They were Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. So they essentially send letters to the uh, attorney general, like, Listen, this is what you need to do, or we're going to mm-hmm. fight. Mm-hmm. There are, again, there's so many news segments about all these people being released. And I don't know if you noticed, but every single one of those mugshots was of a colored man. Not a single white man, not a single preppy boy who was caught with his fucking 10 pounds of Coke or whatever. Right. It, it was all men of color. Scary, scary mugshots. You don't want these people in the stream. Right. It's all by design, dude. It's all by design. I don't believe that that was accidental oh no not even a little bit not yeah even. well anytime you see them show the mugshot of a, of a man of color versus like them out in the wild as it were it's still a shitty shitty picture of them doing horrible things versus the mugshot of a white frat boy and then it's a picture of him in church right it's not the picture of him raping a girl which is probably what he did it's mm-hmm. a picture of him in church right it's always this upstanding young man you're ruining his life versus this thug obviously did other things so this he did as well right it's yeah it's, it's all staging horrible yep. yeah mm-hmm. yep. so matt calls his friend dan marks who's also a defense attorney yep to help him get these convictions overturned mm-hmm. we have in january 21st 2015 martha coakley exits the ag office which we'll talk a lot more about her in the sonia ferrick case yep. but she's mm-hmm. a fucking i well, you know what's not even her it's just the people that worked for her honestly that were a piece of work Right. She was perpetuating something that was likely already in place. Right. So this landed at her mm-hmm. doorstep. She was like, well, it's time for me to go. <laughs> so, right. Oh, good times. So we, they have the newest uh, attorney general is Maura Rahili. Mm-hmm. And she actually talks in this documentary. She seems to be someone who actually wants the truth, yes. which is beneficial because you don't see mm-hmm. that in a lot of the people that were working there. And again, let's do put out there that part of her stance is like, look, I wasn't around when this was a thing. Like I don't have any responsibility for the past mistakes, but Mm -hmm. I can be 
on the right side of this going forward. So I think that might have mm-hmm. influenced her Absolutely. to come out and talk. Like she doesn't really have a, you know, anything to lose in my opinion. Like it's a good marketing tool for her. I don't know why I'm so skeptical today. Maybe because I watched this documentary. <laughs> Maybe. But I mean, she could still have towed the line because it's, it's yes. the state. You don't want the state to look bad, right? So she sure. did a good job of saying, you're right. This was not something that my people perpetuated, but we're going to try to solve the problem, which I appreciate. Yeah. Daniel Marks. I love mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things that he said was, this is a system geared to keep wrongful convictions in place. Mm-hmm. In the Annie Dukin case, they could not even ID who had been affected. Right. It took forever for them to get a list together. And I was like, but remember that case by case argument that they were going to make? Like mm-hmm. absolute horseshit, in my opinion. So I was really glad that they were like, so who did you say was affected? <laughs> they were like, right. Just a moment while we collect that over four years or whatever it took. Them yeah. It to took get it years together. to get a list yes. of all, all of the cases that yes. she had yeah, affected. That's it's a, you know what? Electronic notebooking would have helped that. I'm just saying <laughs> quick dirty. I mean, yeah. Search exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. She actually, Annie Dugan actually completed her sentence while they're still, they were still fighting to get like 24,000 cases overturned. That's yes. how long it took. Yeah. And they said that 60% were low-level possession charges. So this also kind of flies in the face of the, like, these were all drug kingpins and they were the worst. And it's the, you know, all this kind of stuff. So these are mostly low-level possession charges. 90% of them were tried in the district court anyway, which is sort of a lower stakes situation. So it was obvious once they got the IDs and the circumstances around this, that it was much more appropriate to consider releasing these folks who were not career horrible criminals, which is the marketing that they had said at the beginning, like, we can't let all these people on the street. And it's like, your neighbor. (laughs) Right. And also most of them, like I said, had already been released. They'd already served their time. Right. I mean, like Andy Dugan, they'd already gone in and gotten out. So this Mm -hmm. is more of a clean the record, clean slate, so they can have a better life moving forward, which is extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt Siegel and his band of wonderful public defendants, (laughs) they get all the way to the state Supreme Judicial Court. Mm -hmm. Now... This intertwines with the Sony Ferret case. So we can cover how things turned out for both of those, these cases at the end of the next episode and kind of wrap it up there. Okay. So we'll leave you with this cliffhanger. (laughs) Right? Yeah. To be continued in the next episode. So yeah, we'll leave it with them at the Supreme Court. And then the next week, we will talk about Sonia Farrick, mm-hmm. her case, and wrap them both up together. Love it. Love it. Okay. okay. So on that note, we'll say laters. We'll say laters, and we'll see you next week for the conclusion of this epic, epic documentary. Word. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Until then. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.